coming up on today's episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Welcome to Subway, where the <laughs> bread is cake, a foot is 11 inches, and the tuna isn't tuna. We also want to hear the story of how you went from a PhD biotech med tech guy to chef, food and recipe blogger, and then maker of sauces and rubs with an international flair. Wow. Uh, so this, this podcast, what's going to go for about three hours? Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, it's addicting. So be warned, you buy a bottle of any one of our spicy condiments and, and you'll be coming back for more. <laughs> Coming to you from St. Petersburg, Florida, you're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the show that's the authority on where to eat in St. Pete. Here are your hosts, Kevin Godby and Lori Brown. Hi, I'm Kevin Godby. And I'm Lori Brown. Thank you for tuning in today. Welcome to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast podcast that's it when it comes to restaurants and food information in St. Pete. And be sure to check out our website, stpetersburgfoodies.com. There you'll find great information, including restaurant reviews, the largest St. Pete happy hour list ever created and kept updated, and information on the newest restaurants in town. We are locals that live in downtown St. Pete, and we've been eating our way through this town for years, so you don't have to, but you should. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Just hit the subscribe button and you'll get notified when an episode is ready for download. And then you can listen to them anytime you want, like on your morning jog or commute to work. On today's show, our featured guest is Jim Pachintz. Jim is the president and founder of Serious Foodie, which is a great eclectic line of sauces, marinades, and rubs. At the top of the show, Kevin catches us up on some food news and trends. We have have a a great great show, show, so so stick around. around. St. Pete is all about local, and this year we celebrate a local legend's 25th anniversary. Roland Oates Market and Cafe was founded in July of 94 by Bert Swain and Larry Schwartz. From the beginning, Roland Oates has made a commitment to provide St. Pete customers with the finest quality organic whole foods, nutritional supplements, and body care products at the most reasonable prices possible. And now they have a South Tampa location too. We go there for many items, but they are the only place that we go to buy our raw probiotics and other supplements. They have the best organic whole food selection in town, and on the flip side of that, they also offer a fantastic selection of wines and an unparalleled selection of local craft beer. Rollin' Oats has a cafe, Open Daily, which offers delicious sandwiches, burgers, soups, salads, bowls, wraps, entrees, and fresh-made smoothies along with a variety of prepared and packaged take-home meals located in the market itself. Do you pride yourself with supporting local businesses? Well, put your money where your mouth is and get on into Rollin' Oats today. Rollin' Oats St. Pete is located at 2842 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Street North, and in South Tampa, you'll find them at 1021 North McDill Avenue. Check them out on the web at rollinoats.com. That's R-O-L-L-I-N oats.com. And Rolla Notes offers online ordering with curbside pickup. Hey, Lori, have you ever been to Noble Crust? I have. What do you like there? Pork belly pimento cheese and fried green tomatoes are my favorite. 
Oh yeah, I love that one too. They actually call it the FGBLT. It's fried green tomatoes, pork belly glazed with a Tabasco honey sauce and pimento cheese. Mm-hmm. And it's the first item on the menu, so you can't miss it. And I think they should actually call it the OMG. Yeah, you've said that before. The chicken marsala is really good too. It has chicken and chicken sausage, criminy mushrooms and four cheese grits. It's so delicious. I love that they mix classics from the American Deep South and Italy. Noble Crust is famous for their fried chicken. I love it. Yeah, and the eggplant parmesan is out of this world. When we do a best eggplant parm list, it'll definitely be on there. Yes, it will. Speaking of lists, Noble Crust made six of them recently. Best Italian, Best Casual Dining, Best Pizza, Best Bloody Marys, Best Meatballs, and, believe it or not, Best Salads. Ooh, can I tell you another one of my favorite items? Yeah. The spaghetti and meatballs. It's oh, so good. Man, you're not kidding. You know what? They have a brunch on Saturdays and Sundays starting at 10.30, which I love. And the deviled eggs are to die for. Let's go to Noble Crust right now. I'm in. Let's do it. Before we have Jim Pachance from Serious Foodie, I'm going to catch you up on some of the latest trends in the food business and a really good story that Eric Young's told us on the break last week. So the hottest item in the burger business is chicken. Hmm. Sales of crispy fried chicken sandwiches continue to trend upwards, so much so that some chains that are really thought of as burger chains are selling more chicken sandwiches, including McDonald's, Shake Shack, Jack in the Box, and Burger King. Wow. And, and Pope- course, Popeyes came out with that blockbuster one a couple right. years ago. They, there was like a war between, they're actually calling it the chicken sandwich war. And that was <laughs> Chick-fil-A and Popeyes. They started that like a year or two ago. I'm not sure. I think of course, it's two. Yeah. And let's not forget KFC. And the largest restaurant and convenience chains promoted 213 chicken sandwiches through November last year, up 22% from a year earlier. Hmm. I wonder what that's all about. Yeah. But however... Burgers overall still outsell chicken sandwiches three to one. Next up, people are accidentally buying too large of a quantity of too large or too large of a package of items online because now more people are buying groceries online that used to not do that and they don't have experience doing it. So they're not paying attention to details like weights and quantities. Well, I had that same problem. Remember, I ordered Mm -hmm. um, from Amazon Prime. I ordered through Amazon Prime. I ordered from Whole Foods. But the problem is the way they actually have it listed online. Mm-hmm. I wanted one Serrano pepper, but I had to do it by the pound. And the smallest poundage amount I could order ended up me up with 10. Yeah. And I'm still using them. You are. <laughs> you gave them to me. So that yeah. wasn't an experience on my part. That was a problem with their ordering system. Right. Right. So yeah. And I, I almost did the same thing because there's that, that. What's the cheese that you like that we can never find? Uh I don't even know how to pronounce it properly. Like C-H-A-U-M-E-S, yeah. Shoms. Yeah, so I, I looked it up on Amazon. I'm about to order, but then it's like, oh, minimum five pounds. <laughs> I'm like, that's too much. <laughs> so here's some things that happened. Sarah Galasco. These are all from the Wall Street Journal, by the way. Different issues and whatnot. Has sprinkled paprika on her roast potatoes, used it as a garnish on baba ganoush, and added it to chicken. She has spooned the powdered spice into packets and mailed them to friends. Even so, she estimates she has enough paprika to last her until 2040. 
Wow. She ordered a new tin of paprika and was surprised to receive an eight-inch tall container with 750 grams, about 1.7 pounds. Wow. Of the spice, 10 times the amount she usually buys. The tin in the picture looked in the online image to be similar to what she had in her pantry. Mm -hmm. So it's the exact same (laughs) like packaging art, but it's 10 times the size. Wow. Another person ordered five bananas, but instead received a bag with five bunches totaling around 30 bananas. Well, there's some banana bread baking He going made on. a lot of banana bread. <laughs> uh, somebody else accidentally bought a box of 200 lemons. They, wow. want, they wanted 20, but th- in this case, they put an extra zero by mistake. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, next up. PepsiCo and Beyond Meat form a plant-based foods venture for making snacks. And I saw that, and I'm like, I don't why? get it. I don't understand like, this why? at all. What I know. kind of snacks? But then I figured it out. Okay. Further on in the article, they tell you. Mm-hmm. PepsiCo currently uses some animal-based ingredients in products like Doritos and Tostitos sauces, some of which contain cheese and certain Frito-Lay products contain pork-based enzymes. Who knew? No idea. And the company's muscle milk products incorporate whey. That comes from cheese. That's an animal product. Right. Here's a few more real quick. Everyone is drinking more tequila at home. Everyone wants sushi to go, and it's saving some restaurants. Right. And I think that was kind of like the, the lure, like early in the pandemic, we had a lot of restaurants around here that we know telling us, you know, it was tough times and the lure was like, no, we're doing more business than ever. Right, yeah. right. So probably the same the case with them. So question for you, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Mint chocolate chip. <laughs> Are you sure? You sound kind of, you're not sure. Well, I mean, I also love sea salt caramel, mm. but... I think mint chocolate chip is probably my favorite. Okay. I love the Trader Joe's version. It's really good. The reason I ask, oh, Trader Joe's comes up in this. They're actually not my notes, but I remember they were mentioned in this article. My favorite is vanilla. Yeah, I know. You're so vanilla. And uh, there's a battle over vanilla flavoring raging in federal courts where plaintiff's attorneys say items from ice cream to cake mix actually have no real vanilla at all. The lawsuit started in 2019 when Spencer Sheehan, who's a lawyer, of course, Puzzled over a can of A&W root beer stamped with the words, made with aged vanilla. And he was a little skeptical about that. Mm. I would be too. Right. So it turns out that real vanilla is expensive. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of fakers out there. Even, I think it's Breyer's ice cream. I'm not sure. That has the little specks in it that are supposed to be, show you, look, this is real. Yeah, yeah. It's fake. There's no real vanilla in it. So what are the specs then? Uh, Yeah, good question. (laughs) So there are more than 100 proposed class action cases filed over vanilla flavoring, many by Mr. Sheehan, within the past two years. At issue is one question. Is vanilla really vanilla without vanilla beans? The companies, Trader Joe's was one of them mentioned, there's several. They say, no, 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 vanilla is a flavor. Like Rocky Road is a flavor. Mm-hmm. Right. We're just saying it tastes like vanilla. Right. But on that A&W one, they said made with aged vanilla. Right. That's I mean, a, that's, that's, where, that's where it's an issue. If they actually say outright that it's made with real vanilla. Right. They say natural vanilla flavor, which implies real vanilla, but it's not. They just use natural products to create a flavor like vanilla without using vanilla. Right. And Mr. Sheehan compared real vanilla to a Chanel bag and its alternatives to knockoffs. Mm-hmm. Just because you can't tell the difference between something real and something fake doesn't make it okay, he said. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I think I kind of agree with him. 
I guess so. It doesn't really bother me all that much. I, I mean, never, I never really even thought I, about whether they use real vanilla in it or not. I think they should have a law where if there's not real vanilla in it, they have to say does not contain real vanilla from vanilla beans. I think you're probably right. They have similar laws like that that they put on wine and and other things. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can't right. claim it's a cab unless there's a certain percentage of Cabernet in it. Right. Exactly. And guess who's at it again? I'll give you a hint. It's a chain of sandwich stores. Jimmy John's? Ha, no. Welcome to Subway, where the bread oh. is where the <laughs> bread is cake, a foot is eleven inches, and the tuna isn't tuna, allegedly. The Washington Post uh, actually broke this, but I, I heard it on the Eater podcast, and then I got this bit from the Eater website. I heard it on the news about the ah, tuna. Okay. About the tuna. So the Washington Post reported on a lawsuit that says Subway's tuna sandwiches are actually made of a delicious-sounding melange called concoctions. The filling is made from anything but tuna, and is instead a mixture of various concoctions that do not constitute tuna, yet have been blended together by defendants to imitate the appearance of tuna. Multiple lab samples of the filling allegedly found no trace of tuna nor fish at all, though they don't say what was found in its place. Subway's being sued for fraud. They deny the claims. Wow. And the bread has too much sugar, so yeah, right. like that was England in, won't, that, won't Ireland, call it bread. That was Ireland, yeah. yeah or Ireland, yeah. yeah. And then there was a, a suit, this one goes back, I think, a few years, to where they say this is our foot-long sandwich, and they didn't quite measure 12 inches. And they say that's what happens, you know, we bake the bread and shrinks down, something like that, I don't know. Well, then make it 13 if it's going to shrink. Yeah, right. <laughs> Account for shrinkage. There you go. That's what she said. <laughs> so uh, last week we had Eric Youngs. We had uh, some great conversations with him, and... On the break, I kept tape rolling, and he had a great story, so I decided to just to save it for this. So here is a really great, uh, it's, it's, I think it's just like one minute, story by, by Eric Youngs. Check this out. Uh, it was so much, a funny story about that. I'll never forget, I'm busting tables, and here, you know, you know you're 14, you know, you're petrified. You're, yeah. you're in an adult world. You got customers yelling at you, and all you want to do is the best you can do. And at one mm-hmm. point, I went into the kitchen, and I hear a, a boombox just blaring rock and roll. And it's the dishwasher. He's back in the dish pit, and he's got his radio blasting, and he can't be a year or two older than me. And I'm like, I thought he was the coolest guy in the world. <laughs> that job. Flash forward to Castaway, and uh, here I am working there, and I'm just a, just a line cook at the time. I'm talking with the fry cook and uh, we're just talking about our first jobs. And I'm like, my first job was at the mullet Inn." he's like, no way. Mine too. He was the, <laughs> the boom box. And he actually went on to be the chef at Armani's, the chef at what Marriott Waterside. Wow. Uh, yeah. It's just, just a cool story of how small. That is a cool story. Wow. Yeah. It was, that's cool stuff. We'll be right back with Jim Pachance from serious foodie. Keep on moving. One of our favorite places to go eat in St. Pete is Engine Number no. 9. They've been a staple in downtown St. Pete coming up on seven years, and they are famous for their unique and tasty burger creations. As a matter of fact, they are on the St. Pete Foodies list of best burgers in St. Pete. They also made the best hot dogs list, the best chilies, and the best wings in St. Pete. Aside from the food, Engine Number no. 9 is a great sports bar with lots of TVs, beer, and wine. And you can even get a regular old cheeseburger, too, so you can bring your non-adventurous eater friends. Check out Engine Number no. 9 at the corner of MLK and 1st Avenue North in downtown St. Pete. 
their burgers can't be beat. Please welcome the president of Serious Foodie Gourmet Products, Dr. Jim Pachens. Welcome, Jim. Hi, how are you guys? We're doing good. We're doing good. And it turns out that I thought you were in Bradenton, but you actually are in St. Pete. Yeah, we just found out you're just a few blocks from us. Yeah, I mean, we. this is where the action is really in St. Pete. So uh, we got ourselves a nice little office in downtown St. Pete about uh, about a year ago. Nice. nice. You're not far from Overflow Brewing, right? That, well, that's uh, yeah, it's down the street, and it sounds yeah, like a good place to thought. get lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty cool. So, and your products are obviously available locally in St. Pete, uh, but you're also uh, national and international. That's correct. Uh, we're in over 500 stores across the country, and we picked up some accounts in uh, all places in. Um, uh, Panama and in uh, Canada. Nice. Very and, nice. And I should mention what the products are. That would be marinades, rubs, and sauces, and fi- finishing sauces and cooking sauces. And we're going to get into some details on that. By the way, we I was first introduced to the products at Brick Street Farms. I was just going to say that. So I've, I've tried a few there. But now I found out just from researching for today that you have a heck of a lot more stuff than I've seen. And now, now I'm going to have to go on a shopping spree. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so so we definitely want to get into that, but we also want to hear the story of how you went from a PhD biotech med tech guy to chef, food and recipe blogger, and then maker of sauces and rubs with an international flair. Wow. Uh, so this, this podcast, what's going to go for about three hours? Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll do the condensed version. Okay. So quick condensed version, I, I grew up in a ethnic Italian-American family and everything important around the Italian-American household surrounded food. So, where were you? Where? Uh, you up in north, north, northeast Pennsylvania, a little town called Hazleton. And, okay. um, and you know, every, my mother was an excellent, excellent cook. And we learned a lot of little technique things from her when she was still here. Um, and just kind of carried that over through most of our lives. We, we really, uh, my wife and I love to cook together. That's one of our favorite things, always has been. Um, and we had a real fascination, not only for the Italian American culture, but we started to learn that food is a common language. And if Mm -hmm. you understand how people share a meal, you learn a lot about people. So that's really how Serious Foodie got started. Um, It's it's my retirement business. I I haven't done too much in the field of biotech now for the past five years Uh, and really focused on the food industry, try to understand it a little bit more in depth. Um, you know, it's all new and novel, uh, a lot of mistakes along the way because we're new to this. But on the other hand, I think, um, I think we have a really interesting little niche for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So you've always been into food and cooking. 
Yeah, and it, it, it's it's funny. I think that one of the best birthday presents I ever got from my wife, and it was a good birthday present for her, is she sent me on a boot camp to the Culinary Institute of America, where wow. I spent cool. three weeks in an immersive course and learned all kinds of cool stuff, and it really was life changing. That is awesome. Was With- that was that up in New York? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was in the uh, Poughkeepsie campus. Uh, and, yeah, they have uh, so many all over the country. Yeah, it was just incredible. I mean, and the that's a really cool gift. <laughs> it's a gift that keeps on giving to my wife too, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, yep. Yeah, so you did. Uh, you had a forty-year career as a serial entrepreneur in the medical devices industry. Prior to that, that's correct. I started several companies. Um, a few of them were very successful, and my, my my biggest legacy to that industry is is that I helped create lots of jobs. You know, by right. count, about forty thousand jobs were created because of the work that we did early on in uh, med tech. What type of medical devices? I started off in uh, the field of biomaterials. So we did things like artificial skins and uh, hips, knees. I had a great fascination with orthopedics. So Mm -hmm. one of the first ligament repair products came out of our labs. We did cartilage repair and then did uh, literally a whole bunch of brain surgery products. So, Oh, wow. uh, yeah, a little bit all over the map. Uh, proud to say that I'm on quite a few patents in that area, and those products are still, you know, chugging away. So uh, that's, that's really cool. I used to be a pharmaceutical rep. That's why I'm asking these questions. I knew a lot of <laughs> um, medical sales reps as well. Yeah. So one of the passions that that we all have is is that we're we're looking to create jobs in the culinary arts field. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, we want to make good products and yeah, we do want to make money from this, but really our passion is, is to create jobs for young people, especially in culinary arts. And how are you going about that? Well, trying to increase revenue so we can hire more people would be a really, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, right. Exactly. You got to have the money to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, so, you know, we have, uh, we have our sauces and spice rubs and they are increasing in popularity, thank goodness. And, uh, we also have a project to build a, um, commercial kitchen, a space Mm -hmm. where culinary entrepreneurs can come and learn a little bit, but also have a place where they could create food for the community in St. Pete. There are very few commercial kitchens in the St. Pete, incidentally. Mm-hmm. I think there are only three, and they're all booked solid. So we see that as a great way to add to the community. So are you currently working on that now? Yes, yeah. We're trying to find space. Really hard to do. <laughs> but right. uh, once we get space, uh, it seems like the you know there's financing around for doing these projects. And you know, we're hoping to be open by maybe third quarter of this year. By, by when of this year? Third quarter. Of third quarter. Year. Nice. Great. So, Jim, have you had any supply chain issues with the pandemic? Oh, boy. Uh, have we? Uh, we've had to really switch gears around a lot of things, mostly packaging, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our 
spices and fresh products are, are okay because we, we have a pretty well exclusive supply chain for our sauces and spice rubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but packaging was crazy because a lot of the stuff came from China and with the trade wars and all that. Uh, all of a sudden, we saw that the, the supply just like uh, shriveled up. So we did have to make some packaging changes this year. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I figured that. Now, at the same time, have you had any sales increases with more people cooking at home? Well, here's what happened. And this happened to specialty foods in general. The retail space started to diminish uh, during COVID. And the reason is, is even the specialty grocery stores started to focus more and more on staples and private labeled products. And so we lost a lot of shelf space and we lost some major chains. We lost Lucky's, which was a wonderful grocery chain, and we lost Earth Fair. And they were two big buyers of our product. And when that those went away, we had to rethink and we decided to focus more with our online sales and the smaller independent grocers mm-hmm. like Brick Street and Mazzaro's and places like that. Yeah. Oh, you guys are in Mazzaro's too? That's great. Yes. Yes, we are. Hey, Jim, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in two minutes and we're going to get into some really delicious stuff here. <laughs> we'll be right back. Ramen is the ultimate comfort food, and Booyah Ramen on the 900 block of Central Avenue is my go-to. It's so freaking good. The broth is like a silky blanket to warm up your mouth, and the hearty proteins, or just mushrooms for vegetarians, it'll have you saying, ooh, mommy, the umami is making my eyes roll back in my head. My favorites are the pork belly and the short rib. Mmm. And then there's the noodles. O-M-G. Go get the best ramen in St. Pete at Booyah Ramen at 911 Central Avenue in the Edge District of downtown St. Pete. Do ya, Booyah? As a St. Pete Foodies listener, you should also check out the Zest podcast from WUSF Public Media. You know, the Tampa NPR folks. Every Thursday, host Dahlia Cologne shares everything from food history to the best restaurants you haven't tried. There's recipes you'll want to try and a different slice of our state's foodie scene. The key lime actually is native to Southeast Asia. The English sailors were called limeys when they found out that they put it in their barrels of water to get rid of that brackish, well-watered taste. They uh, didn't get scurvy anymore, so they wanted them in all their ports in the tropics, so they took the seeds and planted them. So that's how we ended up with key limes down here. We invite you to listen to The Zest on your favorite podcast app or at thezestpodcast.com. Tell Tell them St. Pete Foodie sent you. We are back! We are back! We are back with Jim Pachance, the president of Serious Foodie Gourmet Products. And I was reading an article about you, and what I understand is that this started out with a fascination of peppers and you want it to be more focused on flavor and not so much uh, intense heat. Uh, so right about that. Um, even though one of our new product lines we're calling spicy condiments, uh, <laughs> we, 
Yeah. And, and there, there's a reason for that, because we're seeing a trend amongst millennials that do want spicier and spicier things. And we do want to explore certain communities where heat is important. But we're right. really focused, even with the, with the peppers, we're focused mostly around the flavor. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the flavor, some of these peppers are grown specifically for us in the United States because they're hard to import. And some of them that we do import, we may be the only ones in the United States that have these peppers. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. It's really cool. Like um, our Mexican mole, uh, which we got during uh, the recipe we got during a visit to Mexico, uses a fresh pepper called Mirasol. And when it's dried, it's Guajillo. But ah. nobody uses the fresh version. Yeah, except- I I, I use guajillo all the time, and I never knew that. Yeah, it's a wonderful flavor. It's almost like eating a spicy strawberry. <laughs> nice. It, it has they the guajillos have great flavor, so I imagine the mirasol must too. Yeah, yeah, they're really wonderful, and we we ended up uh, that one we have grown for us uh, a little artisan farmer up in uh, New England uh, grows these for us, and we harvest them once a year for our oh, product. Wow, that's cool. That's really cool. Wow. So, so, so you're bringing, those come in fresh. Yes. Yeah. Fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, we, we blanch them, freeze them and stock them because you only can get them once a year. Right. Isn't that the same thing with hatch chilies also? That's correct. The hatch come from an artisan farmer in Hatch, New Mexico. We met her at the Hatch Chili Festival Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was our first product, and that's how we got the whole company started. We met this artisan farmer, fell in love with her, loved what she was doing, and so we get her fresh, frozen hatch chilies directly from the farm. Nice. That's that's actually the first. It's the first item in the line, and it's the first one I tried myself. The uh, roasted hatch chili cooking sauce, and it's it's awesome, and it's it makes things so easy. I mean, you could have fresh gourmet dinner, like if you've been working all day or whatever. I know it's a little different these days, people working from home, but still, if you're, it's around dinner time and you know, you need to make something for dinner and you want something that's like amazing and delicious and super easy. There you have it. Pretty much with, with, with all your stuff really. But yeah, so the roast, that one, and you know, you do get a little spice out of that one, by the way. And then the second one that I tried was the uh, Romesco finishing sauce, which is really, I had no idea that I liked Romesco so much until then. Oh, uh, I love Romesco. Well, well, thank you so much. And, and, <laughs> oh, yeah, and what's really cool, and I, and I always mention the website at the end, but I want to mention it right now, too. It's Serious Foodie separated by a dash, so serious-foodie.com. And you guys started out as a blog and then evolved into selling the products, but there are a ton of recipes on there and you, you're doing stuff on a regular basis, things that relate to the se- seasonal stuff and holidays, like you had something for Valentine's on there. That's right. We try to be super seasonal with uh, what we talk about uh, and then interspersed, uh, and this is a new feature uh, of our updated website. Uh, so what you'll see is, is a lot more about where these concepts came from, the countries of origin, our travel experiences in these countries, how we met up with chefs, how we found ingredients. So this is all going to be starting to show up on the website. So you can make a connection 
than between the people and the food. Right. Exactly. So I have a, a quick question. Since you don't have a commercial kitchen right now, where are your sauces and spices made, packaged, canned and shipped and all that? So we start off, we do are associated with a a commercial kitchen, which we Mm -hmm. rent up in Tampa. And from there, we do small batches and test batches. Mm. Once we develop that, then we have co-packers around the country. Mm -hmm. Although all of our spice reps come from a friend of mine in Pompano Beach. He's got a 80,000 square foot facility that he makes spice reps. So all our spice rubs are Florida-based manufacturing. Yeah. So as we were saying earlier, I mean, initially, you know, you were, you were thinking, you know, so much is focused on how hot can we have this, you know, where you're just getting seared and you can't even detect any flavor. So you were more about the flavor, but now you also have evolved into the, the newer line, the bold, spicy flavors from around the world. Yeah, we have five of them right now that are showing up on on the website. And what we're doing is looking at countries like my Italian heritage, Calabrian, mm-hmm. uh, spicy relish. Uh, we loved, I can remember growing up, my father would put this spicy relish in everything. Uh, So we created that from my grandmother's recipe and then started to look at other countries that we were fascinated with, uh, such as Brazil. Uh, Mm -hmm. Brazilians use sauces as condiments. They really don't barbecue with the sauces. They use it as a dipping sauce. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we went into some Asian flavors like Indonesian, Vietnamese, and we came across a really cool Sri Lankan sauce. And a lot of people don't even know where Sri Lanka is. It's on the, <laughs> it's almost like it's the Sicily of India, we say, because it's on the tip of their boot. And their foods tend to be, um, they tend to be spicy, just like the uh, Southern Indians. Um, but they also have like a lot of fruity components. So this one's a coconut lime chili sauce. And Ooh. I tell you, it's addicting. So be warned. You buy a bottle of any one of our spicy condiments and and you'll be coming back for more. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin loves the spice. I do. I thought it was funny when you said the millennial because he's a boomer. (laughs) So that makes you a boomillennial. Boomillennial. So yeah, so there's, I just want to mention some of the stuff you're talking about. There's the Brazilian smoked jalapeno citrus. Yes. As you said, the Calabrian hot pepper relish. Indonesian sambal, and then the Vietnamese one is a sweet chili hot sauce. That's right. I de- there's definitely going to be a shopping spree in my future here. <laughs> and, and I guys, <laughs> I'm not going to go down through every single thing, but uh, just a couple other mentions. In the marinades and grill sauces, there's a Korean lemon garlic grill sauce and marinade. Yum. And there's a Vietnamese ginger lime dipping and stir fry sauce. Nice. I've been on a stir fry kick lately because Lori got me a, a wok for Christmas. Well, well, nice. Both the Korean and the Vietnamese are great with stir fry. Um, the the Korean is a very typical Korean barbecue sauce. is uses a natural gorkuchong, the uh, the oh, spice nice. fermented uh, chili. It was tough to find an all natural version that doesn't have any chemical preservatives. Uh. Right, right. We yeah. use that a lot, but mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't think about that. 
Right. Yeah. And then in the spice rubs, again, I'm just going to mention just a few here. Uh, there's Asian, Tex-Mex, Kansas City Barbecue, West African. Mm. And then within that, like within Asian, there's another a Chinese one. Right. And there's a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fun. Uh, my my wife's favorite is that West African, which came from a cousin of mine who mm-hmm. uh, spent a lot of time in West Africa as uh, anthropologist. And he talked a lot about how they use spice rubs as almost seasoning salts on everything. Mm. And so that West African has a very typical spice. It's only found there. It's called Grains of Paradise. Um, it's not very well known, but it's really delicious. It's sort of like a lemony, peppery, little bit of fennel in it too. It's a remarkable flavor. Yeah. And, wow. and, and you were talking about this a little bit in the beginning about how food and, you know, in eating with people, you make a connection. And I also, I love how, you know, you, it helps you understand the culture a little bit better. Right. And, and you tie all that in with, with you, with your travels and your blogging. And there's the whole story behind, you know, how this came about and how it's used and why it's used. Right. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I mean, with the lack of travel this past year, right? Um, it, it's allowed us to do deep dives into other cultures that we haven't personally experienced. Mm-hmm. So that's been fun, too. It's like, you know, traveling at a distance. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the again, the website is serious-foodie.com. And Jim Pachance, thank you so much. Yes, thanks, Jim. Uh, you two have been marvelous. Thank you for um, thank you for this time. We'll be right back. This is Chris Walker, and you're listening to CP Foodies Podcast. We have a new review on the website. I think it was late summer, early fall last year that the Gulfport Brewery opened, and every time they posted food on Facebook, my eyes were popping out of my head. Not literally, that would be bad. We have kept an eye on them for the past several months, no pun intended, and now we have a drool-worthy review on stpetersburgfoodies.com, so go check that out on Gulfport Brewery. I guarantee you're going to want to go there and try that food and their beer. Next week on the show, we'll be talking to Ashley Haywood from Embrew Sweetened Artisan Tea Bags. If you want to get in touch, drop us an email, info at stpetersburgfoodies.com. That's it for this episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our guest, Jim Pachentz. Thanks to our sponsors. Rollin' Oats. The Zest Podcast. Noble Crust. Booyah Ramen. And, and Engine, Engine Number, number nine. 9. Our announcer is Candice Aviles from Meet the Chef and Channel 10 News. And our theme music is provided by the Chris Walker Band. We'd like to remind you to check out all the latest restaurant reviews, foodies news, top 10 lists, and updated happy hours on stpetersburgfoodies.com. Please give us a rating and review on whichever app you're using to listen to the show. And remember to share the show with your foodie friends. Until Until next time, time, may your food be hot and your bubbly cold. That's
that's a spicy meatball! <laughs>